In this episode, we talk with the amazing instructional designer, Ashley Chassel. But first, let me tell you about our Storyline training courses at masterstoryline.com. Improve your e-learning skills with our video tutorials, including our new spin the wheel game and branching scenarios. Use the discount code TRAINING32, all one word, to get 10% off the first year. Hey, Ashley, welcome to eLearning Guys. Oh, thank you so much for having me. We are very happy to have you here. So let's just start at the beginning. Could you tell us a bit about yourself, what led you into e-learning and, you know, all that jazz? So I got my start. I, I think I, I was kind of an accidental instructional designer, like most, most folks yeah. are, um, <laughs> in that I was... I had been working at a Starbucks. I was managing a Starbucks uh, while I did my undergrad and I quit the first job I've ever quit um, for six month period to finish up my uh, undergrad. And I was doing a double major in psychology and linguistics, starting to apply for uh, graduate studies um, to do speech language pathology. And that's really what my passion was at the time. And so at the end of uh, May, I was graduating, found myself unemployed and thinking, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with this? And I reached out to one of my girlfriends who said, you know, I'm working for this company. They need warm bodies. I think you're kind of smart. I think you could do this. Um, why don't you come in an interview? And so that was a company that did primarily defense contracting and I interviewed for an instructional design job and I got it. I'm pretty sure that they gave it to me because they thought that I could speak a bunch of languages from my linguistics background, <laughs> uh, but uh, they didn't ask. So I didn't, I didn't tell them until a couple years later when they wanted me to do some French translation. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I worked at that company for about five and a half, six years. And while I was there, I did my master's of education, kind of discovered um, a new passion for um, higher ed and, and working in an instructional designer e-learning capacity. We kind of wore a lot of different hats. So we did the instructional design in terms of the analysis and the needs assessments and um, scoping out design documents, all of that stuff. And then we did a ton of uh, production. So we worked across a lot mm -hmm. of different e-learning authoring tools. I first discovered uh, Articulate Studio there and, yes. and then Storyline. And so while I was doing my, uh, my graduate studies, I had been freelancing as well. So I wasn't really... Um, I wasn't really doing e-learning freelancing specifically. Um, I just had a goal of paying off my student loans. And <laughs> and I did that, took a year off, and then thought, you know, maybe maybe I'll try this freelancing thing out again. And and that's really when I started, uh, started doing that hard. So I had had um, my blog where I was just kind of, um, I guess, running it for other instructional designers and developers, just out of my own interest, playing around with Storyline, doing the challenges on the e-learning heroes community. Um, and then, yeah, the freelancing really just kind of took off. And and that's awesome. that's where I was for a while. So very uh, unintentional uh, instructional design beginnings, but it, it turned out to be a career path that I, I really enjoy. But you're still, still working as a freelancer, right? So I work uh, full time with Treliant, which uh, is a company that does compliance training. And mm -hmm. we 
I kind of fell into them uh, at the beginning of this year, and I love the work that we're doing there. I'm happy to be uh, working there full time, but I still do some small contracts on the side. So I'm still doing, um, I, I have a few companies that I, I work with here and there, but I don't take on nearly as much as I as I once was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a, so, it's a nice balance of uh, <laughs> consistent income and yeah, still still yeah. getting to do uh, work with other clients and do the conferences and all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So I, I'm guessing there are now not so many hats that you wear right now. I guess there are more people helping, helping with the projects. There are. I feel like there still are a lot of different hats because it's it's more of the analytical troubleshooting, like the back end stuff, uh, which is super fascinating because the the back end of um, a lot of the courses that we're working in right now are more complex than most of the courses I've I've worked in 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 storyline. So it's it's been interesting to see kind of how how the courses uh, are built out, how they integrate with other LMSs and and kind of see the behind the scenes element a little bit more. There's a lot of JavaScript in in our courses. And so it's it's nice to kind of look at that and and get more of a, a feel for for what we're doing and how we're kind of making it a, a step ahead of other compliance trainings. So it's mm-hmm. it's really interesting. I, I feel like I'm still wearing a lot of hats, but they're more hats that I'm wearing because I want to be wearing them versus hats that I'm wearing because it's a necessity. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a, like a PD thing almost like I'm getting my own professional development uh, working within these courses. It's great. So if I understand correctly, so is is there still a learning tool and there's some a lot of extras or are you all everything developing from scratch? So everything is developing from scratch. It's all in storyline. Um, it's all a custom. We've created a custom player. We have um, like custom menu, all of all of uh-huh. that jazz. There's custom tracking. Uh, we have our our LMS has its own API, so we have a lot of uh, JavaScript in there to send calls right. to yeah. to the uh, the LMS. And yeah, but it's it's one of those uh, I guess uh, slew of courses that when I was at DemoFest, for example, showing it off, um, one of the major comments was this was developed in storyline, like, like people, big heavy hitters that I admire were coming up and say they were surprised that that's what we used to develop it in because it didn't look like a storyline course. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 So it, it was a nice, nice compliment to our, our design and UI development. Yeah. So when you develop your own projects, uh, I know from seeing a lot of the videos that you have, storyline is still a kind of a, a core development program for you. Um, what other, I, I'm certainly you can talk about that, but what other uh, kind of tools do you have in your e-learning toolbox that you like to use? So the ones that I'm primarily using are, I mean, it's just Storyline. So um, we're using, uh, Treliance using Storyline 3. My personal stuff, I'm using Storyline 360. So it's it's interesting to kind of see the updates coming out and, and get to play, mm-hmm. play on both sides of uh, of them. And, uh, then I really am only probably using Camtasia as another tool. I don't, uh, I don't have to veer too far out of the Microsoft office TechSmith uh, articulate range for, 
for the work that I'm doing every day. Um, though I am interested in learning more, I would love to learn um, Illustrator and re-familiarize myself with Photoshop and learn JavaScript is big on my my list of things to learn this year. So um, I'd like to add more to that toolbox. I'm I'm the same way. Yeah. Kara North actually sent me a, a link to a good JavaScript class that I've just started to take. So yeah, we'll see. Uh, this year's going so fast. I, I wonder how much we'll be able to get to the things we wanted to do at the beginning of the year. I know. It, it's so hard. I, I always have the best intentions when I, I do my annual recap and kind of like, what did I achieve this year? And what do I want to do within the next year? I, I always have such high hopes. And then uh, somehow it turns into June. And where, <laughs> yeah. where, where did those six months go? Yeah, it feels like June is the second month of the year. Exactly. Yeah. So as you're, you're developing, uh, whether it's your freelance stuff or for your for your job there what i guess do you still wear a lot of hats as far as the development process do you have a hand in storyboarding and you know uh needs assessment and creative design approaches uh you know where do you kind of come in there or just you know the development of it uh once all that has been figured out yeah definitely we i mean with the company that i'm working for we're we're uh, growing very fast. So we have um, individuals who are kind of responsible for things like, uh, like we have someone that does our, our drafts of our storyboards and um, those go back and forth among various team members. And sometimes uh, our input on the custom side is required. Sometimes it's more of like we have a library side. So sometimes it's more kind of contained within the, the library um, from a visual design perspective. We I, I believe we all kind of have a hand in making recommendations for um, like what the nav looks like, the players, all of the the UI, uh, because it's going to be a bigger rollout than just uh, a one-off course. Mm -hmm. um, we at Treliant, we come out with different seasons. So right now we're looking into season three and thinking like, oh, what do we want to what do we want to change between season three and season two? Do we want to streamline things? Do we want to uh, like adjust the control bar? Do we want to play with the menu a little bit? And so that those are all kind of decisions that uh, myself and and my team is is a part of those discussions and and making those decisions. Um, on the freelancing side of things, I wear all the hats. So it's just kind of. Yeah the storyboarding, the needs assessments, whatever the project needs, I'm, I'm doing it. So, and I like those projects where it's a little bit of everything. I, I like having, um, half of my, half of my time essentially that goes to instructional design and then being able to carry that over into the e-learning development and do something that I really, uh, have a lot of fun doing. Um, so I, I, I don't mind wearing all the hats now. Um, like I said, before it was a necessity and now it's less of a necessity. It's more of a, a luxury to be able to choose which hats I want to wear when. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know how you think of it. I, I kind of think of it as an, as an art, uh, to develop a course. Um, you know, cause ultimately it's the, it's an experience, an educational experience that you're building. So yeah, it's kind of nice when you, like the topic of the project and can wear all the hats because it, it allows you to do mm -hmm. what you want. Um, I'm, I'm always interested as it relates to storyboarding. I know a lot of people ask me about storyboarding. How do you like to storyboard? Do you storyboard in the software or 
and, and it somewhat depends, I, I find, on you know how people are, have to approve it and how many people are involved and everything. But, but what's your typical approach to storyboarding? I mean, I think storyboarding really depends on the complexity of the project. If it's a really complex project, I'm not going to, I, I won't want to uh, build it all out in storyline because if um, the client comes back and says, oh, I hate everything, yeah. then <laughs> you, you've you really spent a lot of time and effort building, like doing the rapid prototyping. Um, whereas if you just did a storyboard in like Word, for example, you get all of the content approved and then you can move on to the visual um, look and feel. And and then it also depends on, like you said, what type of client or like approval is, is required because sometimes the type of approval might need some sort of visual aid. Um, so you might want to sketch everything out in PowerPoint or something and do like a, a dumbed down version of, of your course um, just so that they can see the general look and feel. But I prefer to do it in Word because I think it's the least risky. Now, if it is just a, a very quick, simplified course that I'm, I'm developing, there's no real bells and whistles. It's, I don't perceive there's going to be a huge um, uproar about changes, then, and, and it's pretty low risk, then I'll just develop it in the authoring tool and, and send them the, uh, the web link to review. Because then you've got, if, if they approve half of it, you've got half the work done. Yeah, I, I agree that the rapid prototyping might be uh, a good solution in some cases, but mostly it might be a problem. And I heard uh, Tim Slay talk about this in, in, in another podcast, and uh, and his point was, and also my experience and some of my other friends, that you, know, you, you quickly develop something to show to the client so they would get an idea of what the course could look like. And the problem with that is that they get so hung up on the graphics or the little details, like how the buttons looks looks, and something like that, or even lorem ipsum you have there for just for an example. They they just cannot wrap their head around that this is not the final version, that they should focus on how the content is structured and not how the buttons look. So, you know. No, I, I 100% agree. Like, like I said, my preferred method is sketching it all out in Word so that it's just text on on like a white a white background and it's very clear what they need to be reviewing uh, mm -hmm. because I yeah. do I do agree that uh, people get distracted by shiny things <laughs> so um, if I want them to review the shiny things I'll give them the shiny things but if I don't want that then I'm giving them just the black and white <laughs> yeah so in word I know I in my experience usually the thing I would get in Word is like a spreadsheet. Like this is the text on the screen. These are going to be images. This is spoken text. This is how the interaction will look. Are, are you talking about that kind of uh, scenario? Yeah. So basically what I do in my storyboard is I'll, I'll just make kind of a table where I identify the slide, the slide title, the on-screen text, audio narration in another column if necessary. And then the last column is suggested media or interactions. So um, like some, th some things are more involved than others, but you can kind of give a brief synopsis in that column of what you want to do with each slide so that the client gets an idea. Um, I mean, they're not seeing the visual, but at least they're, they're reading about the things, that, the treatment that you want to do. Um, and it gives them something versus just giving them the, 
the, the straight content. And then at that point they could say, Oh, we like, you know, we really don't want uh drag and drops in our, in our course. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and you could say, okay, well I'll scrap that. It's no, no harm, no foul. It hasn't gone into the course yet. So that's great feedback. That's very similar to how we build our storyboards, same kind of columns. And, and yeah, it's, it's really important to, as I'm sure you know, to call out or to explain to the client uh, what it means by their approval of the storyboard because you don't want them to approve and then you build it all out and they don't like the original story anymore. Uh, it's like pouring a foundation for a house and then you build up all the walls and put the roof on and uh, they kind of want to change that foundation. So it's really good to educate the client as you're, uh, as you're going through the different phases. Yes, when there, whenever there's narration required or video, I, I'm always very... Yeah, I, I overemphasize the approval and sign off uh, process, because if you if we build this all out and then you decide, oh, well, I want to change all this audio or I want to change all this video, that's another shoot day or that's another um, the, like the voiceover artist has to go and re-record. And um, it's it's definitely it's definitely scope creep or it's a yeah i was gonna say it's another five thousand dollars yeah it's going to impact your timeline it's going to uh delay things it's going to kind of throw a wrench into your production schedule so i like being very upfront with clients about um any suggestions that they have sure i can do that but you need to know that it it may impact the timeline yeah, yeah well i heard uh was listening to this podcast and some some company has uh they have a thing called change request. So they say, okay, it's not a problem. We can do that. Uh, here's, please fill out this change request. It's going to cost so and so, such, so much money. And please, you know, sign the document and we'll do it. It's not a problem. Just no, it's not going to be free. So exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, like scope creeps a real thing. And, yes. and from a, not just a freelancing perspective, but from from any organizational perspective, it's it's important to protect yourself. Yeah. So what would you say, which kind of e-learning projects do you enjoy developing the most? I have to say now, since working for Treliant, I really enjoy the video-based scenario type, uh, type projects. I mean, it's always fun when you, you get to um, work on something different, like um, one of my other clients right now, they they got a, a new client. They haven't worked with them previously, so they didn't have any uh, any previous idea of how they wanted their courses to look. And so it was nice to kind of take branding guidelines and just do whatever I want, have free reign. And so that was that was really nice to to do that. Um, but i've I've really been enjoying the video, the video stuff lately because I feel like the videos that we're producing at Trelion have been, extremely impactful um like there's there's one uh outro uh video that we have for our sexual harassment um module and whenever i listen to that one it gives me goosebumps it actually gives me feeling so it's it's it makes me feel nice to be able to like have courses built with high quality video um that were in injecting interactivity to and kind of mm-hmm. creating mm-hmm. this choose your own adventure um, and knowing that it's something that is going to resonate with with our users. So I, I've really been enjoying that lately. So it's just are talking about like a linear video or actually branch depending on the decisions. 
Yeah. So, so with uh, the courses that we are like our preventing discrimination and harassment course, it's uh, it's a, a choose your own adventure, but because it's compliance, they have to get to all of the, they have to get to all of the videos somehow. So it kind of cycles through. So they get to kind of choose their own path. Um, and then some of it's linear, but there's, we have a, a few segments that are, uh, set as that, like, oh, well, here's the scenario. And then some buttons come up and you have to choose whether it's like A or B. And if you choose one, you go down that path and then eventually get to B. But yeah, so it's, it's been really, really interesting. And it's also been from a compliance perspective because I never really worked in compliance. Um, like I came from developing courses on like, the windows in an, a helicopter uh, <laughs> to, to, to compliance training. Um, so it's been really interesting to just read through all of the kind of legislative stuff and kind of see how you're making that exciting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it must be a challenge. It's such a dry content usually, right? Exactly. Yeah, you, you get your like uh, company's code of conduct policy and and you're looking through that and it's it's like 30 pages of this is how we deal with gifts and entertainment and uh and to see what we're doing with that to kind of make it make it fun and make people not think that they're going through an hour of training or not feel like they're going through an hour of training it's it it's been it's been fun to do those sound like yeah very engaging sort of courses uh you're just talking about it (laughs) makes me want to uh uh, go through the go through one of those courses, uh, even just to uh, to see how they're put together and see what the uh, user experience is. Yeah, we could definitely hook you up with a, a login. That'd be really uh, neat. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and with with all these courses, I know you do a lot to uh, help. I think you've got a course on this to educate people on how to take all these courses you put together and kind of develop your own portfolio. Um, what what are your I don't know if you have any go-to best practices for putting together a successful portfolio for a lot of these e-learning developers out there. Well, I think the uh, first and foremost is that they just have to get a portfolio up. <laughs> they they just have to make the time and invest in themselves and just get it done because the biggest ex- the biggest thing that I hear when I'm talking about portfolios is like, oh, I don't have time or what like what can I put in there? And uh, people get really hung up on um, things like non-disclosure agreements and controlled goods and stuff they can't share. There goes the beagle. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have to credit yeah. him on the podcast. <laughs> people people get really hung up on the things that they can't uh, do, but they don't think about the things that they can do. And so I'm always coaching people on, you know, um, your company doesn't have a license on or a trademark on a tabbed interaction or like these concepts, right? So you can sanitize your, your courses by like using lorem ipsum text or changing the branding or um, like using elements from courses, but not, not the whole thing. You don't have to, just because you can't share a whole course doesn't mean that you can't put something in a portfolio. So I, I'm always kind of coaching people on things that they should do, like ask their employers. A lot of people aren't asking if they can use things in yeah, their, their yeah, courses. Right. Yep. Um, I mean, I, I have a piece of, content in my portfolio um that's that's a government uh 
project. And I thought for sure that they would say no. But when I asked them, they said, oh, yeah, sure. You can put some screenshots and a description in there. It doesn't have to be the whole course. So, Well, in a lot of cases, it shouldn't be. I mean, in a lot of cases, because what's the point of a portfolio? It's not to uh, exhaust someone on your work. It's to paint enough of a picture that they're confident uh, in, in, they're confident in doing in their capabilities. Do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very um, like if I were hiring someone, I wouldn't want to go through 10 different courses, like 20 minute courses. I, I don't need that. I, I like a visual representation of some of the things that you do well that might work well for me. Um, and, and, you know, some people will look at your portfolio and they'll say, you know, mm, I, I'm not really feeling that person and what they could do for my organization or um, but but there there are others that 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 your portfolio will fit perfectly with what they need. Um, but until that they until they can visually see <laughs> something, they're they're not going to know, right? You don't know what you don't know. And um, the other thing about portfolios is that once you have one up, it starts working for you. I don't have a a work with me link on my site anymore. I did when I first started, but once I put the portfolio up, I just had a contact form and that was sufficient. And I haven't, I haven't had a shortage of work. Um, Even when I was freelancing full-time it, the portfolio will really work for you. So do you have a, you could have worked with me button now. Um, I, you, <laughs> y- yeah, yes, we, we, I should revise this. Uh, you haven't worked with me yet. Oh, shame on you. <laughs> yeah. Missed opportunity. <laughs> um, I, well, speaking of your website, I, I have seen how long posts have you written about ATD events. Oh, yes. The recaps. Yes. Yes. Amazing. So how was the ATD uh, 2019? Uh, it was it was fantastic. I I always I very seldom will put in a speaking proposal to uh, ATD ICE because it's it's so large and it I find it I I'm someone that has social anxiety. I find it a little overwhelming. Um, I love doing the networking and seeing seeing all of the colleagues and kind of meeting meeting new faces. Um, but I usually will just pick and choose, um, like, okay, well, I'm going to do the morning this day or the afternoon this day. Um, and I always drag my husband with me so that in the off time we can go and explore. So it was, it was fantastic. Oprah was great. Seth Godin was a dream. Uh, when I first started freelancing, I consumed all of his, anything he wrote, I, I was consuming. Um, so I was just like a kid in candy store when I, I saw both of them, um, and, and I mean, like Oprah has been an institution, um, like as a, a child growing up in the eighties, um, every, every household I was in at 4 PM, Oprah was on. So mm. it was just one of those things that, um, it was almost, almost cultural of, of that, that time frame. Mm. Um, so it was lovely. I got to catch up with Tim Slade and, uh, I didn't run into Kara North, but I, I got to say hi to Mel Milloway and yeah, it was just, it was just lovely and DC's beautiful. So um, I'm excited to go back, uh, go back to ATD next year and hopefully they'll have me at tech knowledge and we'll, we'll see. Nice. Well, I've seen 
I mean, how much time does does the blog take and the tutorials that you have on your website? Because that's that's not a small treat. So, so typically the uh, the way that I do the recaps for any of the conferences is I just live type them out. I'll I'll type them out while I'm in the session, and then um, so I just dim the brightness down on my laptop all the way and and go at her. And then after the session, I'll kind of do a little a little proofing of it and and just throw it up. Um, I I can't get too hung up in um, like dedicating a a lot of uh, time to. Like, I don't want to say that because it seems like I'm not I'm not being considerate of of the things that I'm posting. But I mean, I don't get paid to do my blog, but I love doing it because the the people that are coming to the blog originally I created it for prospective clients and and as a way to funnel people to me. But I very quickly learned that it was um, fellow instructional designers, e-learning developers, folks in the industry. So I just now just love sharing knowledge um but that being said because i'm not being paid to do it it's it's usually pretty loosey-goosey um like a quick screencast tutorial will take me maybe a half an hour to to do and put up um if it's more complex it might go to like 45 minutes an hour mark but um they're they're very casual um whereas with sprout e-learning which is um my site that I, I have some courses on, I've got, I've got the portfolio mini course there for free, but um, I also have a nearly 70 lesson introduction to instructional design um, course. And the videos that I, I put up there um, were very labor intensive. And, and I know I, I mean, I'm I'm preaching to the choir here because you guys have the uh, mastering storyline Um course going and I I know how much work it takes to research script out uh, produce I have I have a storyline course that I haven't published yet because things just keep changing so fast um, yeah that's a problem so, yeah why yeah. can't they just stop adding features for a couple <laughs> know, of years yeah. <laughs> well I'm yes I I don't want to go back to the just perpetual license where it really was every every year or so before you'd get big updates. But um, yeah, it, it makes it challenging when you're working with more of a, um, a su- subscription-based model where there's frequent updates. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, those those videos and content take much longer to, to create, um, mm-hmm. whereas the blog yeah. is just something I like doing in my in my free time to share share a wealth of knowledge. That's that's great. I love taking a look at those things and taking a look at your storyline videos and everything. Same here. I appreciate that. <laughs> it it is nice when people. I mean, I'm not sure if you guys have had it um, at conferences when people come up to you and thank you for for the videos that you created or like, oh, I didn't know what a button set was, but that would have helped me six months ago. Thank you so much for that video. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it's it's just very humbling to to know that you're you're helping people out and and it's it's things that they actually can use day to day yeah it is i i have been in that situation it is nice it to uh it's interesting to see what the people kind of latch on to because sometimes they'll say hey your video about this was really interesting and it wouldn't be one of the things that i thought you know was more interesting but it's you know these some of the stuff is a little bit um what's the word uh exploratory but it's 
it makes sense that it, uh, it's more of the stuff that people need day to day that's a little bit more common that uh, I, I think people who, who are new or, or haven't run across some of the features and benefits and things that you're pointing out, uh, that's what they latch on to. It's always interesting. Yeah. It, uh, one of my most popular screencasts is a time-lapse demo of me building out a storyboard in Word from probably close to a decade ago. <laughs> it definitely has copywritten music in it. It's uh, like it. it is, I find it so fascinating that that is one of the most viewed videos because when I look at it, I'm like, oh my God, I've like, how have I evolved? And <laughs> like, why are people still looking at this? But I guess they're, they're getting something out of it. In time, you forget how less knowledgeable you were and that there are still people out there that doesn't know everything you do. So, you know, everyone, ev there's always someone that finds value in those videos every day. Yeah. And it's it uh, going back to portfolios. Um, I was chatting, my colleague Allison Goldthorpe was saying that it's kind of like a nice rundown memory lane. When you work on a lot of projects, you, you've got this mm -hmm. portfolio and you can be like, oh, right. Yeah, I worked on that thing. But another, another uh, thing that I like about portfolios is that you can see how much you've grown because I have two pieces in there that are awful. They're, they were my portfolio, um, Launchpad, they're two horrible, horrible interactions built in storyline when I was really into pattern backgrounds for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> um, but they stay there because like like I said before, they're it's it's kind of like a humble beginning almost. And uh it's it's something that is a constant reminder to me when I look at my portfolio and update it, like, okay, you guys are still there because that's where I was and this is where I'm at now. And um I'm not going to win any awards for those those uh those interactions but uh <laughs> it's it's nice to see kind of the the shift that you you make yeah. in your own personal growth. It's mm. neat neat to see too that you you didn't kind of get yourself stuck with one approach, you know, you're kind of always interested in trying something new and you can see that over time. Exactly. Now, a super vague question, but what do you think is the most important thing about e-learning? Oh my goodness. I th I think the most important thing about e-learning is is not to get uh not to focus too much on the bells and the whistles. It's it's more having that instructional design hat that informs your e-learning development choices so that you're developing with a purpose. You're not uh, developing frivolously. Your your learners are going to um, meet the learning objectives that they have for their course. They're going to um, there's a purpose behind the e-learning and and not just to make it look pretty or um, make it interactive. I I think that's the the most important thing for me. Yeah, like don't develop for the tool, develop for the content, right? Exactly. There's a there's a reason why you've been asked to develop training, <laughs> and uh, yes. and and we we don't want to get lost, have that message lost. We, I mean, you want to create a learning experience for for the user. It's, I mean, it's great if you can make compliance training exciting, for example, yeah. um, because it's something that they have to do. But at the same token, you still need to ensure that the learner is getting from the training what was intended. Um, like the this, you need to you need to 
not lose sight of those learning objectives. True story. So what do you think that, pe that people often do or the steps that they miss that leads to poor e-learning? Well, I think, I think not. I think losing sight of the learning objectives or not not considering them. Um, I find sometimes if you work in in a team environment where different people are doing different elements, for example, if the instructional designer is building out the storyboard, they've um, like built everything with those objectives in mind and the learner is going to um, achieve the knowledge that they need for, for that course. Uh, and then the e-learning developer does just says, you know, I, I like this design or this is, they're, they're kind of, like I said, they're getting lost in the, the shiny things or the bells and whistles um, and not realizing the importance. So I think that as an e-learning developer, um, it's important to always be expanding your skill set and growing. And I think that any e-learning developer can benefit from a basic understanding of adult learning principles and uh, instructional design principles, just so that they understand why um, why things have been structured or recommended to be structured the way that they have. I also see a lot of people not designing universally. I mean, you don't always have to be 508 compliant or ADA compliant. Um, it's nice, though, when you can develop something that is fairly accessible from the, the get-go. Um, you're not putting um, like high high contrast fonts on um, on backgrounds that they shouldn't go on you're you know you're not um, using things like hotspots and states unnecessarily or drag and drops if you don't need a drag and drop it's it's nice to kind of uh, try and design for the lowest common denominator and then that way if if someone needs those accessibility uh, functions they're not as hard to kind of pop in there well, and I, I think that's somewhat of a reason I like to storyboard in something like Word, like you were saying, because cause I'm a, I have a degree in graphics design, and so it's very easy for me to go there too early. Uh, but when I'm focused on the story that needs to be told to educate better, if I'm in Word, you know, it's because you'll you'll go halfway and you'll <clears throat> excuse me, you'll you'll scrap it and say let's let's rearrange this. This is not I'm not doing this right. Um, so I, I don't personally, that's cause I agree to me, that's how I kind of stay on task to make sure that all the graphics and the polishing of the course, uh, comes after that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's always kind of, it's, it's always important to me to be mindful of, of the content, content first, and then jazz it up later. Right. It's, I just want to make sure that the learners are getting the things that they need. And I see a lot of, um, poor uh, e-learning <laughs> kind of coming from that uh, perspective of like the visuals first and the, the content later type of thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I think mostly you have answered this already, but what do you think, which training practice do you think, like when looking at the courses that you come across, that which training practice should be used more often? Oh, gosh, I'd say that the biggest uh, instructional design concept that I could I could recommend to people is chunking, <laughs> because I mm -hmm. often see a, a lot of uh, a lot of course content that um, has not been chunked properly. And 
it's cognitive overload. The learner's not going to learn anything from from these slides that have so much going on. Um, but for some reason, there's a. I, I also see a lot of subject matter experts that like to have all of this content on one single page or in one video. And there's. Yeah, um, yeah, I think. Yeah. I think when you do have those situations, you need to be able to um, chunk it up into palatable bites. Um, in turn, like for example, if if you had a five minute long video, maybe you could pop in some assessments throughout the video so that you're not the, the learner isn't just kind of zoning out and, and not paying attention to the content anymore. Um, there, there are strategies that you can employ that that can can make uh, the content more efficient. So don't choke to death on too big of a bite of content. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's it's just overwhelming. It's a lot. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic, Ashley. Could you please tell us a bit what you're up to now and where can people find you on the internet? So I am, like I said, senior e-learning developer at Treliant, and I'm always on my website, ashleychasson.com, putting up blog posts, storyline tutorials, um, conference recaps, and if you're interested in essentials of instructional design, um, that's over on sproutelearning.com, and hmm, where else am I? Twitter, AMD Chasson on Twitter, I'm over on LinkedIn. Always happy to answer questions, so please don't hesitate to reach out. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the e-learning, guys. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a, It's been a delight. I, I love you guys. Ah, this was great. It was wonderful talking with Ashley. I strongly concur. We talked a bit about Storyline with Ashley. Again, improve your Storyline skills with our video training series at masterstoryline.com and use the discount code TRAINING32 to get 10% off the first year. Before we wrap up, you can always contact us through the submit form on the website, theelearningguys.com. Enjoy, everyone, and we'll talk to you in the next episode. Thanks, everyone. Happy e-learning.